We're going to start this morning by reading uh, from John 13. You can stay seated because we'll, uh, we'll stand up in a minute and read a longer uh, portion of this passage. This is just one of those epic moments when uh, Jesus drops, drops the mic. And this is John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Now the command is not new. This is in the Old Testament, but the standard is new. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this, by that kind of interaction, by your love for one another, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus made a few things very clear here. First of all, this group would be held together by love. Secondly, the standard for that love would be his love for us. In other words, the way he loved, they should love, and we should love. Thirdly, this love would be the signature of their group. Outsiders would know that they were disciples of Jesus because of their relationships with one another, and the same is true for us. So, Father, I pray that today you would make that clear to us. Lord, I pray that today you would increase, that you would boil over our desire our passion to love and to be loved, and uh, that you would equip us to take steps in that direction, to allow you to grow us in that direction. That, that's the key. As we said, we don't believe that any of us made it here by accident today. And so I pray that none of us, Lord, our, our, our hearts, our minds are open. We ask you to speak. I pray that none of us would miss what you have for us, I pray that you would forgive me of my sin so that what is said today would be your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're uh, fourth week into a series of conversations that we've called Set Sail, and we're outlining habits that help us develop a healthy spiritual life. We have compared it to sailing. In sailing, you make progress uh, because of the impulse and the drive of the wind. And in the same way, spiritually, we make progress solely because of the impulse and drive of the Spirit's work in our lives. But just like with sailing, with sailing, you have to learn skills in order to be able to participate to the wind, with the wind and, if you will, surrender to the wind. And in the same way, we have to learn habits we have to think about those habits. We have to train our children in those habits. Habits that will help us surrender to the activity of the wind around us. And today, we're doing, we're doing our, we're covering, we're talking about our fourth habit. And today, we're going to talk about nourishing others out of personal wholeness. I'm sorry at the risk of being obnoxious. We're going to say that on three, nourishing others out of personal wholeness. One, two, three. Nourishing others out of personal wholeness. This habit has two sides. In effect, this is two sides of the same coin. On one side is the act of nourishing other people. And on the other side is the journey of getting personally healthy and whole. Two sides of the same coin. Now let me give you a glimpse at how these two sides fit together. I'm convinced that we were designed to nourish others, to nourish one another, to take care of one another, to encourage, to sacrifice for, to instruct, to feed, to love one another. We were designed for this, and God requires it of us. 
As we just saw, this is what distinguishes us as people who follow Jesus. According to one author that I read, the whole Christian life is best described as a life of one anothering. Now, that, just that phrase, one another, is used 58 times in the NIV translation of the New Testament English, and that's the translation we almost always use on Sunday mornings. Okay, 21, to, 21 of those times are casual, like they said to one another. But 37 of those times are directed at our life together and our activity with and for and toward one another. Pete, pull up that next slide if you would. This, these, are, these are the things that we're supposed to be and do with one another. Love, fellowship with, bear with, serve, admonish, forgive, submit to. We were designed for this and God requires it of us. This is also, this is also when we are at our best. When we're nourishing others, we feel best about ourselves. I know some of us claim to dislike people and many of us get our energy from being alone. That's, that's true. But for all of us, when we have the opportunity to really make a difference in someone else's life, when our life contributes positively to the life of another, that's when we feel best about ourselves. This helps us see how the two sides of this coin fit together. They contribute to one another, nourishing others, personal health, personal wholeness. But this one anothering is more complicated than it seems at first blush, isn't it? We can't, don't miss this, we can't do this nourishing others effectively without bringing a certain degree of health to our relationships. Again, this is how they fit together. You see, we can't encourage others if we are profoundly needy. We can't bear with and forgive one another if our anger meter is stuck on five. We can't accept if we are pre-wired to distrust others. That means we are required to nourish one another and we were designed to be our best selves when we're doing so, but our ability to nourish others is hampered by our personal unwholeness. This is part of the reason Jesus told us, a new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. There's a standard for our love for one another. So we can't just offer anything that passes in our own estimation as kindness and goodness toward one another and think that that will really accomplish our desire and our design to nourish others. We are to love as he loved us. Whenever Diane and I are, Diane is my wife, and whenever Diane and I are privileged to do premarital counseling for couples, we always discover together some of the ways that each of them individually are pre-wired to cause hurt in the relationship. How some of us individually are pre-wired to cause hurt in the relationship. And all God's people said. So some of that pre-wiring is biology. For example, one of them is pre-wired to be highly social and, and the other is pre-wired to be more reserved. And as we talk about it, we usually realize they've already had disagreements about this. We really need to go out with this couple. Why? Because it would be fun. For who? 
In some cases, it's just biology. But in other cases, the pre-wiring is because of hurt or trauma. Things from their family of origin or from their childhood. Uh, a terrible experience with someone in their church or a childhood full of being called fatty or uh, a awful experience with a peer or a very confusing experience with a peer. And in some cases, these marriages will not be effective unless one party or both works on some of their pre-wiring issues. Sometimes in the marriage ceremony itself, I will say to the couple, often the husband, and you, by the way, are no picnic. And everyone laughs. And then I turn to the other one and say, neither are you. It always generates smiles and laughter because it's universally true. We have issues that make us less than effective lovers. And some of our issues will even silence our desire to be good lovers. In marriage, in friendship, in neighboring, in work relationships, it's true everywhere we go. And yet we were designed for one anothering and called to it by our master, Jesus. This is the backdrop for Jesus' instructions to the disciples that we read earlier. The goal of Jesus' teaching with his disciples throughout was not that they would be good citizens or well-behaved or even perfect law keepers. The goal is that they would love one another and others with the kind of love that he offered and demonstrated. The healthier we are, the better equipped we are to be a good friend or a good spouse or a good employee. Plus, the better we get at being a good friend, good spouse, good employee, the healthier we become. This is essentially why we offer this spiritual habit to nourish others out of personal wholeness. This will involve both the commitment to nourish others and a commitment to be whole ourselves. Do you see how they fit together? To further illustrate this point, let's look at the larger context of Jesus' instructions that we read at the beginning. In the middle of John 13, this is the chapter we read from, Jesus had just pre predicted that he would be betrayed. And the gathered disciples actually asked him who would do it, and Jesus fingered Judas. And then he told Judas, go do what you have to do. I mean, this is epic. And then uh, here's what he says, John 13, 33 through 38. And let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word. My children, incredible intimacy. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You, you'll look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. I mean, just the context itself highlights the, the importance, of the epicness of this instruction, doesn't it? By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter, Peter the courageous idiot, asked him, Lord, where are you going? Because we want to go. Jesus replied, where I'm going, Peter, guys, you, 
you cannot follow now, but you'll follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't we follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Look, honestly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. You may be seated. Can you feel the tension in the room? <laughs> and part of what Jesus is saying to Peter here is, Peter, you don't even know yourself. You don't, you don't get yourself. You think you're further along than you are. You think you're more courageous than you are. You think you're uh, more committed than you are. And you don't realize what's coming. What he doesn't say, but what he will come to understand, what we will come to understand later in Peter's story, and what Jesus will ultimately communicate to him is, Peter, you're going to be embarrassed at yourself. You're going to be humbled and ashamed, and then I'm going to restore you. Then, then you'll be able to lead my church and love others. Ours is a life of one anothering. And our efforts to do that are enhanced as we become increasingly whole personally. All right, so in the rest of our time this morning, I want us to focus a bit on the personal health side of this habit. I want, I want to, if I can in our time, I want to make that a little more practical for us. But I want to identify six mechanisms that I believe God often uses in our lives to transform us into people who are healthier and whole. Six activities, six thrusts, six mechanisms that, that God uses. This isn't meant to be an exhaustive list. There are other mechanisms that God has used in your life, but, but my analysis of God's movement in Scripture and, and from my own experience, these are the principal mechanisms that, that are, are repeatedly used by God to, to train us and equip us and, and grow us in health and wholeness. This is also not meant to be an either-or list. This is not one of those lists where you pick and choose what works best for you. <laughs> God will pick, and he will use all of these mechanisms and maybe more in each of our lives. And if you feel yourself to be spiritually and or emotionally limping today, pause if you feel yourself to be spiritually and or emotionally limping today, it will probably be because you have not opened yourself up to one or more of these mechanisms. Okay, I'll just briefly touch on each mechanism. We're not going to take a, a long time with each. And then I'll offer a recommendation for each. And in some cases, the recommendation will be obvious. Mechanisms that God uses to heal us. Number one, Knowing God. A.W. Tozer was right when he said, I can know a person's future if I know their image of God. I can know a person's future if I know their image of God. Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world. That, that gets nowhere. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, by the renewing of your mind, transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. You want to know what to do, then have your mind be renewed. Know God. 
Then you'll be able to test and improve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The primary battleground for us is always the battle for our thoughts. We are, in large part, the sum of what we know and what we think about. We sin almost exactly to the degree that we allow ourselves to contemplate sinful things. We feel negatively almost exactly to the degree that we allow ourselves to contemplate negative things. And our thought life, our minds are renewed by our knowledge of God. So here's a recommendation. There are many, but here's one recommendation. Study the Bible. I know that's a tough one. Sometimes let's admit it's boring. Study the Bible. It reveals God's pattern of behavior and his character. It's how we know God. Second mechanism that God often uses is counseling. Jesus said, you will know the truth, the truth will set you free, but having true statements pass through our intellect is not what Jesus meant by knowing the truth. Psalm 51.6, David said this, surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Truth has to penetrate in order to be freeing for us. It has to be taken into the inner parts. In support of this, the book of Proverbs is full of encouragements to seek counsel and to seek advice. In some of our cases and at certain times, that counsel should even be professional. Uh, a number of years ago, some of you heard me say this before, but I had the opportunity to spend a weekend with a, a life coach and spiritual director. He, he, uh, I knew his son, so I was able to meet with him because of that, but he he coaches uh, some of the uh, most well-known leaders in the country. Um, I spent a weekend with him, and it was, it was pretty awesome. But we spent a day together, and it was, you know, part friend, part uh, spiritual direction, part coach, part counseling. And he's asking me, you know, all these counseling kinds of questions. Toward the end of the day, he says, you know, we've heard a lot about your mother, but we haven't heard anything about your father. Well, my father died when I was 11. You know, I was from that generation. I never even saw my dad. I didn't know him very well. I didn't really regard his influence on my life as it wasn't, there wasn't much of a footprint. Well, tell me about it. So I started talking, you know, tell me more. And I started talking, you know, what are your earliest memories? And it was so shocking to me. My earliest memories were kind of surprising and uh, they were memories of being disappointed. Um, you know, there's something there, Ed. Here's what I want you to do. So he had a lake house. He sent me away for the evening and the next morning and gave me some homework. I want you to journal about this and think about this. So I go away to his lake house and I journal and I think about it and holy smokes, all, all this stuff I didn't know was there at all. <laughs> and the next day, uh, this man and I uh, spend the day together and we work through some of that and he says I think you've got some more work to do and I thought shut up I do have more work to do uh, here's the recommendation get some counseling this year either a great and wise friend and some of you have some in some cases uh, seek professional counseling we have some names if you need some recommendations Third mechanism that uh, Jesus will often use to heal us is healing prayer. When we need comfort, we ask the God of all comfort, and he gives it, 2 
Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. When we have worries, we take our cares and concerns to him in prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and many other places. You getting the theme? Well, when we have emotional hang-ups or emotional blocks, we bring those to him in prayer because sometimes that's the only way to get relief and to be transformed. And sometimes it's so, it's so locked in, we need someone else to pray over us. When there is a pre-wiring problem, we cannot plan or think our way out of that. When there is a pre-wiring problem, we cannot plan or think our way out of that. He must heal. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And he's talking about emotional barriers that have been set up because of the way our family treated us or because of our biological predisposition and pre-wiring and the way we have responded to the world. And it has seemed to work, although it's created all these other waves behind us. We demolish arguments and every pretension, all those lies that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought, there it is again, to make it obedient to Christ. Sometimes these strongholds can only be broken through someone praying over us. Sometimes they can only be broken through someone praying over us. Don't be shy about that. We're going to do some lab work in a minute. He said again, don't be shy about that. Uh, recommendation, get someone to pray for you. Fourth, resisting the devil. We have a spiritual enemy. This may be new to some of you, but it's real. That preys upon our weaknesses. We have to resist him. This is work we must do. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is serious. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. So this, the recommendation is identify and resist. Identify the lie that you are telling yourself about yourself. Sometimes that takes work. I'm a terrible person. I'm not worthy. I can't be loved. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. And you resist that. That's not of you, God. So I speak the name of Jesus over that lie. Or temptation. There's a temptation that keeps, or a set of temptations that keep recurring in your life. You know the definition of insanity. You do the same thing again and expect a different result. There is a temptation that reemerges in your life on a regular basis, and some of you have not yet resisted that. You've tried. Y'all, I don't want to do that, anymore, but you haven't resisted. I speak against that in Jesus' name, and I claim the freedom and victory that he's given me. Identify and resist. Fifth mechanism that God uses to heal us, confession. Speak it out loud to someone. You are no picnic. And all God's people said, it is sometimes delightful to be your friend. I know some of you. A few of you I know really well. And it is sometimes delightful to be your friend, but at other times it's very, very difficult. 
And whenever you see that about yourself, you should confess it. That's the biblical pattern. Every time when you catch yourself in a lie, confess it. Trust me, this is embarrassing, but profoundly healing. When you've blown it and gotten angrier than you have a right to be, or you've said hurtful things, or you've withdrawn out of pride, or whatever it is that you do, then confess it. It's the last thing you want to do, and it is the most healing thing available to you. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This stuff can be cleaned up. It is really hard, but it's not complicated. Uh, here's the recommendation. You know what to do. Some of you got stuff this morning. Sixth mechanism that God often uses is praise. Can I read something for you? Psalm 73. I want you to remember this one. It's not on the screen. Go look at this one later. Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I was, I was, I was slipping. I was, I was falling away. I was, I was not in a good place. I, I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. It's, a, it's like their bodies are healthy and strong. They're, they're free from the burdens common to man. They're plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Skip down to verse 9. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Their tongues take possession of the earth. They, they got all, they've got everything. Therefore, uh, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. This may not be the particular thing that's plaguing you, but it was plaguing the psalmist. This is what the wicked are like, carefree. They increase in wealth. It just gets better for them. How is that even possible? Then down at verse 16. I, I, when I tried to understand all this, it was, it was overwhelming. It was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Oh, I got clarity when I entered the sanctuary of God. Uh, there is power and there is clarity in praise. That's why the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. He said, okay, we'll start like this. Our Father... In heaven, holy is your name. Let's start with praise. Because there's power and there's clarity in praise. It's, it's one of the mechanisms that God uses to heal our perspective. All right, let's be honest. Some of us are not yet to the point where we are admitting what a mess we are. I may be talking to you. <laughs> Maybe in theory we admit it, but when it comes to actual conflict or actual difficulty with others, when feelings get hurt, we always still see the problem lying outside of ourselves. And when it comes to our efforts to nourish other people, we still make excuses for ourselves. It's not really my thing or I don't have time. But others of us have begun to recognize that we, just like everyone we know, have issues, and those issues get in our way. 
They inhibit our ability to be the wives or husbands or fathers or mothers or daughters or sons that we want to be. They inhibit us from being better employees or managers or neighbors. They inhibit us from helping others the way we really want to sometimes. They inhibit us from developing connections with others sometimes. We know this and we try to do better. We may even try very hard to do better, but we haven't yet figured out that we will have to open ourselves up in a new way in order to move beyond the inhibitions. We will have to open ourselves up in a new way. I like what John Eldridge said about this. I'll put this on the screen for you. To do for yourself the best that you have it in you to do, to grit your teeth and clench your fists in order to survive the world at its harshest and worst is by that very act to be unable to let something be done for you and in you that is more wonderful still. The trouble with steeling yourself against the harshness of reality is that same steel that secures your life against being destroyed secures your life also against being opened up and transformed. So let's renew ourselves this year to being opened up and transformed. Let's commit ourselves to nourishing others out of personal wholeness. Nourishing others out of personal wholeness. Okay, I'm going to ask those that have volunteered to pray for us if they would go to one of the uh, white tables in the back. And um, we're going to do some lab work. Worship team, if you would come up. Uh, I, look, can I, uh, apologies in advance. I'm, I'm going to step on our toes a little bit. For some of us, it is uh, difficult. We might even resist uh, entering into praise because um, that's not my thing. I want you to push past your thing this morning. So we're going to have a time of praise because praise is clarifying. There's power in praise. So we are going to praise him this morning with heart, mind, and voice. You engage in whatever way is best for you. There may be a person or two this morning that needs to get on their knees at some point during this time. We're going to sing some, we're going to pray some, and we're going to seek his face and we're going to open ourselves up to his work. I'm also going to invite you to go to the back of the room this morning and get prayer. Look, don't snooze on this. And don't be shy about this. There are people here who are ready to pray for you. There are people here who are ready to hear your confession. So you go to whoever you feel comfortable with, or if there's someone praying with or for someone, you go to someone else. Uh, if you barely believe in the power of prayer, like I sometimes do, you're the one that needs to be first. <laughs> you need to break through that. <laughs> Uh, if you need um, counseling this morning because you've got some issue, then go get prayed for and ask them at the end if they know a way that uh, you can be helped. Don't worry about who you came with. This is about you. You are no picnic. And you are called and designed to nourish others perfectly. And you don't do that. Because you get in the way. They, of course they get in the way. You know that part. But you get in the way. 
Can we get rid of some of that this morning? Maybe just a little bit. Let's just remove the film this morning. Let's unwrap. This is lab work. Let's go for it. This is you and him. If you sit and resist, that's on you. Sorry to be so pointed. Stand with me if you would. Father, I pray that you would release us this morning to uh, sing your praise. I pray over those of us who will be prayed for and those who are praying with, I pray that you would release the Holy Spirit and pour yourself out on us, baptize us fresh and anew. If you're watching at home, I invite you to uh, send us an email or drop into chat your prayer request this morning. If you're watching later, send us an email and we will pray. Thank you.